if you think of it in these terms, and I do, is anybody that chooses to stop doing something in the spirit of being healthy, whether it's smoking or eating too many slices of cheesecake, or it's stopping drinking, is being healthy. Full stop. Being healthy. What is wrong with that? Somehow, there's a stigma <laughs> attached to drinking and recovery that somehow makes it seem as if like that person is less worthy or not promotable or not all that. And in many cases, it's more in the person's head than it is in actual reality. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Chris Anthony. Chris is the Vice President of U.S. Consumer Goods and Marketing Cloud at Salesforce. And this is another in a series of conversations I've been having on this show about mental health and sales, and mental health and business. Now, about half a year ago, in June 2020, Chris Anthony went public with the story of his sobriety. Actually, he did this on the 15th anniversary of becoming sober. And he took the step of publicly revealing this very private story in order to help end the stigma attached to sobriety and recovery in the business world, in sales world. Now, in our conversation, Chris shares the story of his struggles with alcohol and his journey in sobriety. And he shares how today he believes that his sobriety is actually his superpower. You definitely want to listen in on that. Chris also shares some of the warning signs that sellers need to watch for during these stressful times because Hey, let's face it, between COVID, politics, uncertain economy, there's a ton of stress out there. And Chris gives some great advice for those who are feeling these stresses. I mean, I could go on and on about our conversation, but instead, let's just jump to it. Here you are, Chris Anthony. Chris, welcome back to the show. Andy, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you again here. Yeah, your first solo appearance. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, I'm on my own, so I'm going to count on you to be my guide. I'll be the guide. So um, where have you been sheltering? Uh, at my home in Redondo Beach. Redondo in Beach. In Los Angeles. Yep. So a lot, of, be a lot of beach walks? Place to be. Yeah, definitely. A lot of beach walks, a lot of uh, trying to stay active and outdoors, keep the sanity between the now endless cycle of Zooms and FaceTime on screen and it's uh, it's been a good place to be to just get outside, disconnect, go analog for a little bit, yeah. and try to reset the brain a little, a little bit. And do you? This, so, question about that is: is are you pretty disciplined about setting down all devices? Just as you said, disconnecting like every day, or do you have a routine for that? I'm pausing because I'm trying to be honest with myself first and foremost. <laughs> I have I could do more work there. I yeah. think it's very easy. And many people, I'm sure, can res this resonates with them. Is it's one thing to say you're going to do it, and the next thing you know, you're looking at your screen again. So I do make a point of disconnecting at certain points in the day. I do make a point of putting the phone and the screens in a drawer and shutting them, but it's not always perfect. Well, I you I think you're many steps ahead of me in that regard. I, I just <laughs> I, I was thinking about this again today because I just. Somebody had sent me a link to a podcast episode that Kara Swisher had done with uh, Tristan Harris. Um, mm. If you're familiar with him, he, he's uh, in this nonprofit in San Francisco, the Humane Technology Group, or something. I forget the exact name, but yeah. he's a former uh, like ethical designer from Google and started this uh, nonprofit on the idea of trying to take back control from the mm -hmm. the social media giants and oh yeah uh, social dilemma he was the guy in social dilemma oh i, I haven't seen I, that I, yet, I, I know, yeah yeah i do, um, I do know who he is yep yes so i just finished listening to that before we started recording here i'm thinking <laughs> yeah i gotta <laughs> tonight when i go to bed don't look at my screen actually read a physical book um which i just i just don't do right i just everything oh, i read yeah. is i read on my screens but Wonder then, okay, why am I not getting? Why am I not getting as much sleep as I should be getting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it, it it's really so important to think about it first and foremost. And when I say think about, it, I mean like really be contemplative about like the screen time element of our lives because it. it and again, now more than ever, we we've disrupted, especially in sales. We're not on airplanes. We're not in customer meetings. A lot of those natural breaks of screen time that would occur by being present with other people are now right. gone. So 
Where are we spending our time? Well, we sit in front of our Zoom screen all day. And then what do we do when we're done? We're either watching an iPad, we're watching a television, <laughs> more screen time. Yeah. And then we read before bed. What's that on? Well, it's on screen. It is for me, yeah. No, it's a great point. I hadn't thought about the yeah. connections that, yeah, we're spending so much more screen time as a matter for for work. That, that mm-hmm. God, yeah. All right. Something I'm working on. I just actually just literally sitting here looking at a bookshelf before we started recording. Yeah. It's like, which one am I going to take with me? That's right. Yeah. Well, I've got this big selection. I like to read poetry. So I figured that, so I've got a huge stack of poetry books that some I still have to read. So that'll be my. Interesting. I, I have not gone down that path, although that gives me pause and I'll have to consider that. I like, I like that. I haven't, I haven't gone there yet, but that's poetry? interesting. Yeah. I'm, see, I'm a huge believer in this for a couple of reasons. One is is when people oftentimes ask me what books I recommend like new sellers read, I oftentimes say Shakespeare because mm-hmm. I think the ability to communicate clearly is so important, uh, especially in a written word and a spoken word. And there's something about poetry that the the way that they are able to frame the images so concisely that I think is so powerful to be able to learn how to, to speak in, in metaphors and to, to speak clearly that I just found that's something I recommend to people because I think it's great training. So for me, it's one of the reasons I like, like poetry. Um, other than just, as I said, this, the, the sheer skill and talent people display in, in describing the world around them. Mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot. And that's an interesting, I, I, I had not considered poetry tied back to the importance of clear communication, which I, I agree with you right now more than ever being really clear in your communication uh, back to what we led with around this idea of being on screens all the time is so important. I mean, that, and it's just assuming you don't even have like technology connection issues, mm-hmm. being really clear and concise and crisp on your message in the world that we're in today, and by world today, I mean like we're COVID, lockdown, max screen time, not in person. So a lot of that physical nuance is missing. Like communication has gotten more important than ever. So that's really neat. I'll have to I'll have to look into poetry. I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, I'll give you some recommendations. Um, yeah, but you know, words matter, and this is that's for me. This has always been a big thing. Is that words matter? Maybe just because it's yeah residue of me being a liberal arts major in college and, and having to write a lot. But <laughs> but we get careless with it. And it's, this is not a pandemic-related thing. I think it's more been a, a technology thing, this idea that somehow the channels we use to communicate should necessarily be more more casual in, in the form of communication. And I posted something, oh, by the time the Sayers will be a couple months out, on LinkedIn – Pretty forcefully saying, look, if you're trying to sell me something and you call me buddy or pal, the conversation's over. Mm. And it elicited quite quite an interesting response. Uh, large, large, large engagement. Overwhelming majority of people agreeing. But it was surprising yeah. how many how many didn't and thought I was you know, being too picky. But it's like, mm-hmm. this is how we judge people. Mm-hmm. We form our perceptions of people based on the things they say, as well as look and so on. But that's all part of the package. So the little things matter. So why not pay attention to the little things? Yeah. And so in following along the same theme of you know screen time and, and time and the value of time and, and being on or off a device and, and where we put our attention these days um, – Todd Capone, I know you've mm-hmm. had him on your show mm-hmm. a couple of times. He's he's been helping me. I've been thinking about writing and just doing some different things. And and he told me about a really good book. Um, and I'm gonna forget the author's name, but I won't forget the name of the book, which is Writing Without Bullshit. Mm-hmm. And you know, there there there's and once you read the book, you kind of can't unsee it. But one of the main uh, themes in the book is this idea of uh, the iron imperative, which the author calls treat the reader's time as more valuable than your own. Right. And that just stuck with me because I thought about, yeah, that's right. Like how many communications do we get in an email where the, where the real question or the real point is somewhere buried in there and the reader is forced to go find like a needle in a haystack, what it is that person's trying to say. Right. And and so uh, just apply this to what you're saying though, is I think that applies to 
speaking as well to, to everything you just said, the importance of communication, treat the listener's time is more important than your own sometimes. And how we speak, how we carry ourselves. And I'm learning too, just some of the words and phrasing that we use can undermine our messaging. And for, for many, they're like, yeah, Chris, we know all this, but like, I, I, I'm learning a lot of this that, you know, it's very easy now to finish a sentence with, right? <laughs> well, uh, okay. So you say that three times and like, are you asking me to validate what you're saying is right? Exactly. Yeah. When someone says to be honest oh, I hit that. over and over again, oh my gosh. So or, you just, quite frankly, <laughs> quite frankly, right. And, and, and see, I just did the right. So, but, but <laughs> the, 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 the language really matters and, and look, we can't be precise and everything. And I like the idea of like thinking about who is our audience, who are we speaking to? the importance of crisp, clear communication and making sure we're thoughtful of who the listener is. And that opens up a whole nother can of worms around whether we're being a listener or a talker. Right. But I, I spot on, Andy, I, I think being thoughtful about communication in today's environment, in today's world, it is just critical. Yeah, I saw a great quote this morning, actually. I was reading an interview with Michael J. Fox about his latest book and his fourth mm. book he's written, Memoir. And he was talking about advice he had gotten in the uh, writing of the book from his wife's brother, who's Michael Pollan, who's a famous author. And he said the two important things were velocity and truth. Keep it honest and keep it fast. And I I wrote that down and (laughs) emailed it to myself so I could look at it again throughout the day. And it's like, yeah. I'm in the process of of (laughs) trying to finish my third book. And... I'm like, oh yeah, am I doing that? Because that is so true. That that's exactly what you want to do, and mm-hmm. yeah, um, interesting, interesting yeah, mantras, like right? That. Keep it honest, yeah. keep it fast. Yeah, that's that's really insightful. Well, in another two years, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> I've told the story <laughs> so many times. It won't be Michael Pollan. That'll be my <laughs> wisdom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Andy said. Andy said. Okay. So, before we go too much further, so tell us about your job. I have an unbelievably wonderful job. I'm in sales. I think it's the greatest profession in the planet. Why do I think that? It's because we get to work with all kinds of companies, all kinds of individuals across all different walks of life, and help them solve their problems. Mm -hmm. And when you're with the right company... And I believe firmly I'm with the right company, work for Salesforce. When you're with the right entity with a authentic, real product and service that's out to help a company overcome those challenges and hurdles that they're having to transform their business, to be even better to their customers. When you get to take part in that, I think that's the coolest thing ever. Like it's just beyond rewarding. And I still laugh about something you said the last time I was on with you. Um, a couple months ago, and we were talking about how do you get into sales? And, and I think you made the comment, and I want to paraphrase, you just said, most of us just find ourselves in sales. We weren't right. like destined to go into sales. We just end up in it. And and so I, I, I'm i in sales and I love it. And I sort of just landed in it as well. I studied marketing. I thought I was going to be a marketer. And now I sell marketing software. And I've been doing that for you know close to 25 years. And so I have an outstanding job working with great individuals. And I get to be in a leadership role where Hopefully I'm inspiring and leading others to be better individuals and serve their customers effectively. But it's just been a, a joy to be in this profession and really get the chance to see how the world and other businesses operate and have a hand in that. But it's all the variety that comes with it as well. Well, and so let's talk about that variety because this is the trigger thought for me that this is one of my talking points, frequent talking points, is that it seems like the way that we want to use much of the technology in sales is to sort of erase that variability and the variety that you find so fascinating, right? We want to make put everybody into a niche and into a box, and we're going to write a persona about this person, and this is the way we're going to script our questions to talk to them. And I try to encourage people to think that, well, that's useful information to start with. But from that point forward, you're talking to a person, not a persona, mm-hmm. and you have to treat them individually. And it, and that is the joy of sales, is that they're not mm-hmm. the same as everybody else. They're somebody unique, and you get the chance to use your curiosity to find out about them and their concerns and their life and how what you're doing is going to impact them. And it seems like we're just trying to 
whitewash that. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I, I, it, there, there's, it, it's very easy to over-engineer a framework trying to create sales reps in a box, if you will. But that only goes so far. And it does come down to the old adage of people buy from people that they like and believe and trust. And I, I still firmly believe in that. And you know what I've discovered is that framework and process when built with the right intentions around arming you know the sales teams and sales forces with um, tools that they can use to be more effective at what they do and serving others, mm-hmm. it gives them more freedom and headspace to be in the moment. It gives right. them more freedom and headspace to serve the customer and try to help them overcome their obstacles and challenges. I've seen the other end of it in my career though, to, to a lot of what I think you're saying as well is, is that you know it's over-engineered, it's too scripted, not a lot of room for creativity or just put a personal spin or touch on it. That is not the fun part. That's not the attractive part of what it is. And it's, you know, what I think frankly gives sales a very bad, and I said, frankly, see, now you make me think about this, Andy. <laughs> I think it gives, it gives the, the, the sales profession a bad name. Well, I was thinking today, this, somehow this phrase are popped in my mind when I was in my normal daily thinking time, which is in the shower. And sort of this misalignment, and it's sort of the words, it's just a short phrase, was that this seems to be sort of the problem is that Buyers go on a journey, and sellers follow a process. Mm-hmm. Your buyers are journey by definition, sort of they're exploring. Whereas we have this end destination in mind, and that mm-hmm. that fundamental fundamental misalignment to me has described so much of the problems the sellers have. It creates a that that gap creates a huge number of missed opportunities when you're not listening. You're not considering the situation. You're not considering where the buyer's at. You're not considering the person, right? Like it's easy to talk about this person works at a company and does X, but like, who is that person? Like, let's, let's, let's talk about the humanity side of this. This is like a real person that is, you know, going to potentially put their career on the line to do business with you. They're going to stick their neck out to tell their executive committee that we should do business with X, with this company. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 that gets lost a lot. I think it, it gets forgotten about. To to your point, I mean, it's very easy to get caught in a process. Very get you know th- this is the framework and this is how we do it and this is how you can get caught up in that. And I think it's an easy mistake for companies to make and for their sales organizations to make if they lose their way or fall too deep into that and rely too heavily on it. Well, and this for me sort of gets to sort of one of the fundamental issues. I, I talk this increasingly about. You know, we just. I don't think it's a skill difference between that differentiates, you know, those that are more consistently successful in sales versus those who have less consistent success. I think it's a sort of a point of view. It's a, a matter of perspective. And to this point you're making about, you know, the human being important to it mm-hmm. is how often do we train sellers that, and this is comes from social psychology and behavioral economics. I think maybe Herbert Simon was the driver on this research was that, when people make a decision, they always look at it from two perspectives. You know, if you're in a corporate world, it's how does this decision, how's it going to impact or have an effect on my company? And what's the impact on me personally? And it's like we we don't train people. You got to know both perspectives, right? If you have five stakeholders in the decision, you really have 10 because they're looking at it from two different perspectives and you have to build a consensus among them. So what you, I, I agree with what you're saying. And we think about working in sales and being in front of that individual that, or individuals that you're going to do business with, you're going to sell to, you're going to be there. You're in person. You're able to build some of that connection. You're, you're able to build that element of just a personal relationship through you know, a coffee or a lunch or just spending time together in person, really breaking down some of the barriers of look relationships to get those comfort levels established on both fronts that you're mm-hmm. talking about. So now we can't do that anymore. So back to what, you know, you were talking about, and I keep thinking about this whole thing of the importance of communication, listening and communication yes. and establishing those relationships. It's a different muscle to work right now. And it's, it's more important that you're able to communicate in a way that you can establish that understanding with each other and what that does for the individual, but you're definitely going to be doing over a phone call or over a screen 
versus how we used to do it of spending some time with the individual. Obviously, not talking about transactional sales, just one sure. and done, but yeah, like, yeah. you know, the, these, these longer term relationship, it's just, it's a different dynamic and different way of having to look at how we do business today. And to the point you were just making, I think this listening skill aspect of it, again, is not stressed enough. And I'd love the uh, phrasing somebody used, I, which I've been borrowing because I think it's so great. He's, the person said is, right now especially, is you can't listen to respond. You have to listen to understand. And yeah. you, know, you may get away with listening to respond to some degree when you're in a heated discussion or you know an animated discussion with somebody, but uh, you know today where you're just you're remote, you don't have the the proximity. This listening to understand becomes so much more critical. <laughs> it, you made me think of, uh, and it was Tim Ferriss posted it, and I, I don't know where he posted it at, but he said, you know, it was an anonymous quote, and I, I have it right here actually because I think about this one a lot. There are two types of people: those who wait to talk and those who listen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what I was just saying. Exactly. So just further paraphrase what you said. It's it's exactly spot on. I I, I have that on handy on purpose to remind myself. Very, I love that. I love that. All right. Well, we're gonna just shift directions a little bit here in this conversation because you and I talked about this what we're gonna talk about before is we've been having a number of conversations recently on this program about the importance of paying attention to mental health and sales and the impact of mental health on the individuals and sales performance. And you, in June of this year, just a few months ago, uh, came out and announced that you had been sober for 15 years. You wrote an article that was on LinkedIn. And I mean, first of all, I congratulate you for, for talking about it so openly. So I wanted to sort of dive into that and you know hear more about your story. And so I'm sort of curious as... Where were you? Do you remember where you were when you decided that you had to get help? Mm-hmm. I definitely do. And and thank you, by the way, for acknowledging the 15 years. Anybody that is in recovery of any type knows that, that is something that is re-earned every single day, if not every hour, sometimes every minute for some individuals. So that does mean a lot. And yeah, I put, I put that out there on the 20th of June of this year. Um, was very scared to do it. And mm-hmm. I, I will answer your question. So I was very scared to do it, Andy. I, I didn't want to. Um, it was a very hard moment for me. Um, but I, I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to open up about it. I, for 15 years before that, was was hiding in shame. I, I thought it would do something to wreck my career. It would take me off course. It wouldn't uh, be being open about being sober would somehow uh, mess up my trajectory that I've been on, which has been an absolutely unbelievable one. But back to your question, and we can well, expand before on Before you answer first. those, yeah. but you've been at Salesforce for longer than 15 years. So clearly people must have known or not. Yeah, they did. And and so I've been there um, and I came by way of acquisition. It was 14 years that I've been at Salesforce this past Friday. Ah, okay. Um, but, but um, people definitely knew a little bit, but I didn't talk about it. I definitely wasn't making myself available for others for the opportunity to help them by speaking right. about it. And it, you know, I'm not saying I needed to be super vocal and shouting from the rooftops, but I just, I, I hit it. And, and, and the truth is, um, and we wouldn't have been talking, you know, four months ago, I would have never talked about this on a podcast. I, I was ashamed to talk about it. Huge erroneous way of thinking. And we can unpack that one, but like, mm-hmm. I just, I just was, and, and come to find out once I started speaking up about it, people from every walk of life from around the world at all level, different levels of business have reached out to me every single day since then, sometimes 10 people in a day, and said, I'm scared to speak up. I'm like, wow, there's so many more of us out there. Mm-hmm. The moment I knew I needed to stop, I was in a situation where everything in my life was going bad. My mom was passing away, you know, was in the process of passing away from cancer. She was very ill. Um, my work output was not commendable at the time. I wasn't with uh, Salesforce, the previous company. My marriage definitely wasn't in a good spot at the time. And life in general was just not looking great uh, every turn. And for me, I wasn't like a get up in the morning type of drinker. I was the type of drinker that like once I started, it was like lighting a fuse. It was like all in, all the way. 
Well, you know, it's uh, when you have that sort of operating model and, you know, the stressors just, it's cyclical. It keeps getting worse and worse. And as I'm watching all these things fall apart around me, my mom passing away, my dad had died, you know, a handful of years earlier and I'm an only child. It was getting pretty ugly life. I knew deep down I needed to be done, but I tried to be crafty and tell everybody around me, like, I'm going to take the summer off to deal with my mom passing away. I'm going to take the summer off to just clean my life up a little bit and just you know, see if I can clean up my life. And deep down, I knew I had to be done, but that was sort of my escape route. Well, I took the summer off and, you know, started to get myself a little bit of help and asked others for help. And what happened? Lo and behold, everything started getting better. Everything in my life started turning around and improving. And by the end of the summer, I turned to many people around me and I said, you know, I think I'm done for good. And everyone said, good answer. And so I, I never looked back. That was June 20th of 2005. And it was the very single most important day of my life of changing everything about myself and really has led up to the person you know right now and the person you're talking to because of that decision. Mm-hmm. And I'm confident I probably wouldn't be here had I have not stopped. So to say it's important is an understatement, but it's given me the life I have today. That's the good news. But I was okay. very silent about it from then. Up until recently, I just didn't talk about it. And so that summer, what were you doing to help yourself? I mean, I and are you in a program <laughs> now, for instance? I mean, is that I, I, I'm I'm not. So so yeah, really important um, question you're asking. So for me, in being somewhat stubborn and again somewhat shameful, I I was trying to figure it out on my own. I was getting books. I you know there wasn't apps like there is now. There's mm-hmm. not all these different tools. It's not as open especially back then, 15 years ago, about like just different avenues and channels and companies certainly weren't stepping up their programs to help. It's still an no. area that needs focus. Um, I, I attended some AA meetings. I just, I went to ground with like what I'm good at is, is to, when I have something I want to learn or focus on or need to solve for, study it like crazy and really try to find discipline and routine in it. And that was the thing that saved me is, is that by introducing a healthy routine in my life, I found exercise is a great way to channel that negative need mm-hmm. for addiction uh, into something healthy that just has an awesome cyclical side effect to it. And I just started you know, quietly talking to those that I knew and trusted about this topic. Again, very quietly behind closed doors is starting talking to others for help and you know, occasional meetings here and there. And it was enough to carry me through. There were some hard times, you know, and it's it's not something that you know you ha- you have to monitor and take care of. What I found in my life, as long as I keep a consistent routine and stay disciplined to that routine every day, you know, exercise and just staying centered with gratitude journaling and all of that, that's served me really well. I feel really fortunate. I've been able to get myself under control and stay very focused on staying healthy. And you said your work product wasn't commendable at the time. What, I mean, how long had you been drinking? I mean, how long had it been leading up to it? I mean, is it something that started in college and finally, you know, roosters coming home to rooster? Right. Yeah. College is where it definitely ramped up. I mean, like any, most college students, it's where like you have unlimited freedom there. And it, it really started to uh, ramp up. And it became more of a priority in my life, just the enjoyment of going out and drinking. And then you're on an expense account and you take right. customers out and you get to, you know, what, what do we say in business? Wine and dino. So sales in its own way is a very alcohol fueled industry. Business world in general is very focused on, you know, consumption of, of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it's a great place to really spread your wings with that if that's the path you're going down. And I, I wasn't dealing with the trauma of losing my dad. I wasn't dealing with the trauma of like, you know, that I was, I was slowly ever through mediocrity and poor decision-making and not being wise about how I'm taking care of myself to try to be healthy. It was just, it was, it was damaging my ability to be as effective as my job as I could be. And it was capping my learning. I wasn't spending the time to try to get better. Now, part of that's through growing up that you realize you got to invest in yourself to get better and smarter and learn. But it it was, I I knew deep down that I was making a bad decision and that, and and most addicts will tell you, most people in recovery will tell you that they know deep down as well. They just don't want to admit it, but it was just becoming problematic. I wasn't showing my best at work. And then, you know, like I said, everything is, is alcohol fueled. So you're on work trips and it just, it's an ugly cycle. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's the word. So it reinforces itself. Yeah. So it sounds to some degree like maybe a little self-medication. As you said, you're having a mm-hmm. hard time dealing with the grief of your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And are you married to the same person? I am. Yeah. So here we are 20 plus years later and it, you know, and that, that really has been one of the greatest gifts is figuring out that like, Hey, I need to stop. And my, my wife's validation of saying, you know what, you're right. You should be done. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and never having to revisit that conversation again. And that you're worth saving. And I'm worth saving. And the fact that, you know, I now have a 14 year old son and 11 year old daughter, and I'm speaking more about sobriety now than I ever have. And it's a conversation I can have with them and and be very open about it and be proud about it. Yeah, well, absolutely. So we touched a little bit on this, about the stress and sales. And this is something, again, a topic that we're trying to talk about more openly and needs to be talked about more openly because to your point about, I think, why you were reluctant in part to to talk about this is that there is shame still associated with it. You know, sales in particular still has overburdened by this sort of macho attitude uh, that, you know, what people perceive as any sign of weaknesses is, is, can be <laughs> devastating. Absolutely. A- absolutely. There's also a element of this, I believe that by somehow, you know, when I hear this from a lot of people that reach out to me and share their frustration and fears around the idea of speaking more openly about the fact that they may not drink. And and by the way, I mean, there's, there, there's lots of people that just don't drink. Like it's not about being sober. Yeah. Not, they just choose not to drink. Right. And that's a, that's a whole generational thing. Like with millennials too, like there's a, a whole, um, just, I think a generational thing where you start to see just individuals being like, yeah, I don't drink or I don't do drugs. I I'm healthy. And you're like, Oh, that's refreshing. Mm-hmm. Like, but there's a number of people for whatever reason, choose not to drink back to the weakness thing you were just talking about though. It's, it's, it's really easy to be intimidated or scared by showing up as your authentic self or saying no, or not going to a work happy hour. And, and maybe you, you can't be at a happy hour because it's just in a, a bad situation for you, Right. but it can drive enough fear where people stay away. They feel fearful that they're not going to get promoted. They fear fearful that, well, because I don't drink, because I don't do this or I don't do that, I'm not going to have the opportunity to grow and expand my career. And that's just, that's not great at all. Because if you think of it in these terms, and I do, is anybody that chooses to stop doing something in the spirit of being healthy, whether it's smoking or eating too many slices of cheesecake, or it's stopping drinking, is being healthy. Full stop. Being healthy. What is wrong with that? Somehow, there's a stigma mm-hmm. attached to drinking and recovery that somehow makes it seem as if like that person is less worthy or, or not uh, not promotable or, or not all that. And, and in many cases, it's it's more in the person's head than it is in actual reality. Right, but I mean, there is. I mean, there certainly are people in management in sales. Mm-hmm. You said they you know, perceive it as weakness, perceive it as, you know, this person can't be trusted. That's one that I see frequently. Yeah. Right? This person won't come social socialize with us, thus they can't be trusted. They're not part of the club. Suddenly they don't start getting the same opportunities, same leads. Yeah, this happens. Yeah. A lot of horror stories. And I should just uh, say this as well. I feel really, really fortunate that while I was just talking about the fact that I was ashamed, I was unwilling to be vulnerable until recently, you know, in the time, especially at Salesforce I'd been in, in this company, I have not experienced that. Thank goodness. I have not. But I had previously, because I wasn't, you know, this whole time I was sober, I was with a a different company. And I, I experienced some of that shaming that just went on with like, come on, what do you mean you're not having a shot? We just had a huge quarter. What do you mean you're not drinking? And, and, you know, there's been, there's been moments along the way where you're just kind of challenged by others, but nothing from a management standpoint of I've had to deal with, but I've heard some really awful horror stories to your point around, you know, individuals where it's like, well, you know what, if you can't drink and you can't show up, then you must not want to be a part of the team. (laughs) And I laugh because I've heard that said. (laughs) what come on that can't be the most important factor of all the things that an individual can bring to the table to build a relationship to help build a company to help build a team that can't be the single most defining factor of what makes them a part of the team or not unfortunately it just is in some cases that is a stigma i'm just devoted to, to ending and to be clear i'm not trying to sit here and be a proponent to say 
hey, everybody, stop drinking. Hey, everybody, stop. You know, I just want the stigma to end. Like, stop making it hard for people that want to stop drinking or have stopped drinking or have stopped, uh, you know, drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, or by the way, had anxiety or depression or anything right. else. Stop making it hard for them. Like, we have enough problems on our plate. We're all grownups here, but that shouldn't be the defining factor of whether or not they're going to be a quality individual. Yeah, and successful at work. I mean, that's, yeah. So and, you have your list that you published in your article of, of yeah. um, I guess, 14 points 15. about 15. Oh, I seem to have lost the, the 15th one. Anyway, uh, but, but you talk about sobriety is your superpower. Yes. And we talked about this. Yes, you can be in sales and business and not drink, which is absolutely, absolutely true. And I, I've been in sales for uh, <laughs> over four decades. And I think it depends how you want to do business. I've been very successful and quite honestly, it's sort of different, I think, experience than you. But I, I don't know, maybe took customers out to dinner twice that I can remember <laughs> in, in 40 plus years, mm-hmm. um, but still had great relationships. Yeah, we'd go out to lunch, we might do other things, but it wasn't built around golf and drinking and so on. It was, it was built on making authentic connections with people. 100% agree. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's absolutely possible. And part of the realization I came to as well is just pausing long enough and the whole kind of backstory to how I got to a place where I finally decided to speak up about it suddenly, like raise my voice about this topic. But I had this moment where I was looking at my life and I was like, wait a second. I keep thinking I'm ashamed to talk about this, and yet I'm really grateful. I've gone really far in my career, thankfully. I have achieved so much. I've learned a lot. I've made plenty of mistakes, but I am in a really good place, and I'm growing, and I'm doing my best to inspire and help others and I didn't drink for 15 years, and I would not be able to have this moment of reflecting on that had I have not stopped. Mm-hmm. So you can be successful. You can have a great career. You can do those things. I just was denying it that that was part of the equation. And I wasn't just really recognizing it, frankly, that that was the reason that I was right. doing well. I am doing well. Yeah. Yeah. I buried it. Huge job. Um, yeah. You, you, another one of your points is living life 100% head on and in the raw rocks. And I think that's that's probably one of the the bigger things I read in there is that yeah it's, it's we I, I, this is I guess an early point I made is is it seems like we put too much structure around sales these days maybe in an effort to protect people I don't know but you know the beauty of it and the time you get the most satisfaction out of life I think as well as in sales is when you don't know what's coming unpredictability is the gift of life. And what I started to talk about is, you know, when I would drink, it was like lighting a fuse and that's very predictable. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to end. Well, it's going to end ugly and I'm going to be regretful tomorrow. And the cycle could probably start all over again. There's just nothing noble or cool about that whatsoever. Right. But taking life head on good and bad in its entirety and experiencing the moment in the raw, in the real time, that's living. All we have is right now. And being present for it is incredible. But it's hard to see that sometimes. Mm -hmm. But that's the gift, that unpredictability of right now. Right. Well, I think that's that speaks to people who mentioned the depression, anxiety that that prevents Mm -hmm. them from being in the moment because and yeah, you know, I've had my my struggles from time to time with anxiety. It's it's uh, yeah, it doesn't make you less than though. I certainly had moments where it felt like that. Um, but yeah, hey, but but Andy, sorry to cut you off, but you just touched on something really important. Like, <laughs> let's just call this out. Everybody has a challenge of some capacity. Yes. Like, <laughs> like it's taken me my whole life to kind of get comfortable with that. But like, really, truly. Look at yourself, look around you, look at all the people. Everybody has one or more challenges. Just It's just a fact. It's just life. Come to find out that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So, so what? Like, it's okay. Accept it. Own it. Be sympathetic to others. Be, be, be thoughtful of others. And that was my big wake-up moment is, is that, okay, so come to find out everybody has challenges and issues. We all do. 
whether we decide to acknowledge it or not and own it, try to solve for it, be a better person and help others. Yeah. And to point you made earlier is, is be grateful. <laughs> yeah. Be grateful because I guarantee a lot of the challenge and the anxiety you talked about, you know, you mentioned having that anxiety. I'm quite confident you could continue and say, and it taught me X and it made me better because of, right? Yeah. And that's the gift. It is. I mean, that's it, to, again, getting back to the sort of beginning part of the conversation, talk about learning is. Yeah, you were curious. You read books when you were decided you were going to confront the problem and deal with your your addiction is one way you did is you yeah, you're that curious individual. You read everything you want, could about it. I do the same thing. But it's part of the journey, it's learning. Mm-hmm. And so often what I see in sales is the people that oftentimes have had some level of success but then stop is because they stop learning. Yeah. And, and you're, you're right. And the opportunity so many times is right in front of us, but we get blind, you know, blinded a bit to keep looking left and right and all around us and keep our heads looking forward for those opportunities to learn from them. And, you know, there's all kinds of fail faster and, and lots of great, you know, sort of like encouraging moments. But the reality is, is that every moment's a teaching moment and, you know, you're either growing or you're not. And the important thing in my mind is to always be looking for the lesson in every moment. And mm-hmm. what is this, what is this person or this moment or this situation trying to teach me here? Cause there's a lesson in it all. It reminds me of a conversation I was having earlier today with somebody about, they were sort of evaluating two people for a position, open position in sales. And one had more experience uh, than the other some you know, track record of some sort. And the other was newer, hungry. And it's like, yeah, the, I started advising them to say, well, I'd really look at the younger person because their trajectory of improvement, their clear desire to learn was much greater than the person that, yeah, maybe has accomplished more to date, but just as they're stopped. You ever get asked the question, if you could go back and do anything differently, what would you do? Yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. And the way I like to answer that question a lot of times is I would have been more methodical and smarter about building networks of help with individuals, mentors, and others across mm-hmm. all different disciplines that I could go to from time to time to learn from. And I built that muscle well now, but I didn't, I didn't realize it as early. And some of the mentoring I do, that's definitely a piece of guidance that I give. And I invite individuals to start doing that. But it's amazing to watch some of these early stage younger individuals that are just starting their careers out and they start to do that really, really well. And you watch the speed with which they progress, either in the same capacity because they want to stay in an individual contributor role if we're talking about a salesperson here and they just want to make a bunch of money and do well. Awesome. Or they have aspirations for leadership. But when they make that investment early in the process... And they're, they take that curiosity that you talked about and that growth mentality of like reaching out to others and asking for help and learning from them and always in the process saying, if there's anything I can do to help you, always putting that in there, let mm-hmm. me know. But it's amazing because you watch the speed with which those individuals rise and grow so much faster than the non-proactive, non-growth oriented mindset of an individual. It's a stark contrast between the two. And so much of it I, I found in sales, my experience, is including in that sort of network of mentors and so on, are your customers. Yeah. You know, I tell folks, I, I probably, the biggest influence on my learning how to sell is my customers. Because yeah. if I kept asking them questions about how could I help them and kept digging down into the problem and how we could come up with something to work on, they would pretty much tell me how to sell to them. And then that's how I developed my business acumen from talking to my customer and asking them yes. questions and learning about them. Yes, I, I think that is that is such a good point. And whether it's the customer that said yes, even better, the customer that said no, if they're willing to give you the time. <laughs> yeah, have my share of those. Yeah, and and just asking a lot of times to say no. You know what? I we don't have time to give you feedback. But I had a situation earlier in the summer where we lost there were, there was an opportunity that we lost and, and, 
you know, it was a, it was a, it was a hard fought battle. And we asked the executives at this company, we said, Hey, could, could we have 30 minutes just to real raw candid feedback on like, what, how, how can we work better with you next time? What, what could we do to be a better partner and shell up more, you know, and, and the, the feedback was outstanding to get, they gave us 30 minutes and they told us flat out, it was really hard to hear, but it was also really, really insightful because it's so easy to celebrate the win and talk about how awesome we are and all that cool stuff. But I was just as proud as getting the conversation to find out why we lost. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you what, we're not making that mistake again. Yeah, we all have those moments <laughs> that, yeah. that we learn that are burned. If you're willing to learn from them, they're burned deep in your brain. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've got one with yeah, similar as a big deals with one of the national networks we're selling them uh and basically a backbone communications network for distributing distributing their programming to all their affiliates and yeah we had it we absolutely had it <laughs> until we didn't <laughs> i was just gonna say i could already see things are going south when you said we had it so oh yeah that was and, the first worrying sign yeah well i mean we just we <laughs> The incumbent vendor was was uh, just did a much better job with the people that were going to be making the decisions than we did, and I mean, we our product was vastly superior, but that wasn't what they really cared about at the end of the day. And yeah, we just we had that that meeting, and it was very very sobering because it's like, yeah, we assumed so many things, yeah. which you should never do. This is true. This is true. Yeah. There's, there's great lessons to be had for sure. Back to what we were talking about though. Yeah. This is why this is such a great profession. The opportunity to grow and accelerate and learn from mistakes in a fast paced environment that sales tends to be, I, it's outstanding. The choice is, are you, are you growing or you're not? And there's just limitless opportunities because there are so many cycles, so many activities going on at once. It's just, it's, it's such an extraordinary field. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's why I'm still doing it after all this time. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's writing right. about it and so on. I mean, yeah, I've never been you know more excited than I am now because I think there's so much change going on that we all have so much to learn about it. Even these things we think we've known about for so long. Mm-hmm. And I'm encouraged too. You know, we're talking a little bit about mental health and this topic of speaking up about sobriety. As much as there's a bad stigma that's out there, I am really encouraged by how much progress is being made. There's a long way to go, but more and more, and maybe it's just the fact that we're 24-7 problems are visible to everybody more than ever with just the 24-7 mm-hmm. uh, web. <laughs> but like in, in every kind of downfall of any individual is, is pretty publicized now. But like I am encouraged about where where the opportunity is headed with being more open and more accepted with challenges that individuals have, there's, there's a lot of work to do, but I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, more visibility and aware, awareness around it will, will definitely help. And I think that's great. On the flip side of that though, is it's to me the most important time to try to break that stigma. Cause here's what's going on. We're sitting in front of our screens as you and I talked about, no mm-hmm. more than ever. We are not leaving the home. We are not leaving the office. Read anything, any outlet you want, and anxiety, depression, substance abuse, yep. suicide is skyrocketing. So breaking the stigma is timely and important to continue to focus on because there is a lot of work to be done for a lot of individuals right now that are leery to ask for help and we got to break that stigma so that they will ask for help. I like directionally where it's going, but it's timely because I think the challenge is the the biggest we've ever seen. Right. I agree hundred percent. And I think that part of our mission here is to help people feel empowered to ask for help. Yes. Because you're not, you're not alone. Uh, we all, as you said, so clearly we've all had issues, have issues, um, we're humans. We're, we're trying to get by, and yeah, I mean, it's like the the man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's we put on a good face, but we all have something. 
Yeah. And when, when I finally did speak up and you were referencing the, the article I posted, 15 things I learned in 15 years of sobriety. When I finally put that out there, that was my quote unquote coming out, if you will, on the sobriety thing. Um, not one, th- not, not one rock was thrown. <laughs> I had all this anxiety built up for 15 years. I thought someone would be like, well, what's wrong with you? What? Nothing. In fact, it's been just the opposite. And you know, if that, if that gives somebody a little bit of uh, courage and, and, uh, hope that they can be in business and they don't have to drink. I mean, that they they can not, they don't have to drink and still be okay and be accepted. Not every company's perfect, but the the more individuals that speak up and raise their hand and say, "Hey, I'm sober. I'm recovering from whatever." Um, that that louder voice will start to carry everybody, and and it is okay. And gosh, if if someone's struggling, I want to help them and encourage them to ask for help as well. Well, yeah, and I'll just I'll close with that because unfortunately we're yeah. running at the end of our time, but. Yeah, anybody listening to this, if there's something you're you're struggling with and you feel you need help or someone to talk to, contact information for Chris and I will be here on the page and you can find us yeah. on LinkedIn and we'd be happy to respond. 100%. That That is everything to me. If there's anything I can do to help anybody or point them in the, r- the right direction, um, or if you know, you're a listener and you're in sales or business and you're ashamed of being sober or want to get sober or whatever that looks like, or any other kind of problem that you're challenged with. And there's many, that's why I left. And I mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm. Ask for help. Yeah. Ask for help. Quietly, confidentially, there are tons of resources and there's tons of people out there that want to help you. So don't try to solve it on your own. Ask for help. Chris, as always, been a pleasure. Yeah. Andy, thank you so much. It's been such a joy getting the chance. This is our second podcast together. And it's always a joy to just get to interact and learn from you and have a chance to share a little bit of what I've seen in my career here in this wonderful uh, sales industry. So thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you. And um, look forward to doing again before too long. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. All right. Anytime. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guest, Chris Anthony, for sharing his incredible story with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing, but we'd certainly appreciate it. And you can do that on all on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you very much for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.